0: I-V-M.
1: The Inheritors Podcast Series by Bloomberg Quint.
0: Welcome to The Inheritors by Bloomberg Quint, a podcast series. I am Sonu Bhaseen. Today we have with us Naveen Chopra, and we're going to talk about family businesses being built to last or not. Uh, Naveen is a senior advisor with TPG Capital, one of the world's largest PE funds. He works on a few investee companies, most of which are family owned and helps with their strategic and operative agenda. In the initial years of his career, he spent 16 years with Britannia before joining Vodafone where he spent 13 years. His last position there was as Chief Operating Officer. Welcome Naveen, it's a pleasure to have you with us.
1: Thank you Sono. great to be here with you always.
0: Great, Naveen. And, you know, reading about your career, again, uh, from Britannia to Vodafone and now to TPG, working with uh, uh, a lot of family businesses, how does uh, a family business differ from what you've seen at Britannia and Vodafone, if it does?
1: No, there are uh, fundamental differences um, uh, in the way that the two work. And uh, I've worked with blue-blooded multinationals. Uh, You have far more amount of governance. They are far deeper matrix organizations. Decision-making tends to be a little bit more complex. Uh, And those are the necessary checks and balances that very large multinational corporations build in. Uh, Family-run businesses, by definition, tend to be far more entrepreneurial. Uh, Decision-making tends to be a little bit more centralized. Uh, And there is a lot more intuitive sense in the way that the businesses work. And uh, to the credit of many small businesses and family-run businesses, uh, it's actually sometimes you have to marvel at their intuition, uh, which we in multinational companies, despite research and data and, you know, uh, all the checks and case studies uh, often get it wrong too so uh, there is an element to be respected on both sides
0: yeah and you know you're you're talking about two points something that uh, stuck me one was decision making is fast in uh, some of the promoter driven companies and two their ear seems to be on the ground at the right time uh, which a lot of multinationals uh, are unable to replicate Now, is that something to do with the uh, clear, cut and uh, dried structure that they have? Uh, You know, the the emphasis on the process rather than on uh, getting the work done. And in your opinion, having seen different kinds of businesses and some of them at very close quarters now, do you see that as really an impediment and something that the multinationals or the professional companies can learn from the not- uh, not professional ones, family businesses are not perceived to be professional.
1: Well, you know, it starts off with the fact that um, family-run businesses uh, by definition have one owner. Okay, there may be some amount of uh, spread on that ownership, but it's concentrated ownership. And consequently, consequently the uh, the success or failure is uh, reflects straight back on the owner. Uh, in large multinational companies, you have very diverse shareholders who have... Uh, given away their right of management to a professional bunch of people whose job then becomes to be uh, operating in the best interest of many stakeholders, consumers, shareholders, uh, you know, regulators, government, uh, hundreds of things. So uh, consequently, there is a very different balance of what needs to be brought to the table. Uh, here the promoter says, if I get it wrong, it's, uh, it's uh, for me to bear the brunt of. In multinational companies, uh, it's a little bit more spread out in terms of the way it happens. Number one. Number two, in large companies, uh, again, uh, there is merit in people moving around. So consequently, the long-term impacts of decision-making or initiatives that you've taken today, uh, sure, some of them will have a medium to short-term impact and that's for the, the, the impacting manager to see. But the long-term benefits uh, or or consequences do have to be shared out with other people who will transition through the the individual manager leaving this particular job and his decision, uh, and what will happen to this decision decision five years from now. Um, And consequently, again, you need to build in the checks and balances, and hence decision-making tends to be a little bit more spread out, a little bit slower. Talking talking about an ear to the ground, uh, I think the well-run professional companies invest a lot of time and money to do that. Now, they do it in a very formal method, uh, whereas the the owner-driven companies uh, do it out of their own blood, sweat, tear, and uh, tears and conviction, uh, the way to do it is completely different. Uh, but the end result, if if done correctly, you could end up with approximately the same results. But uh, there are, of course, uh, going to be some amount of variations there.
0: Yeah, uh, there's always that bit little bit of human element uh, that seems to be missing in the very cut and dried orderly structure of multinationals. And uh, we were speaking on another episode about how uh, professional companies always tell their teams to behave more like a family and family-driven, family-owned companies are telling their teams to behave more like professionals. So, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side. But you're talking about the necessity for people to move in organizations and uh, the family-owned businesses necessarily having a, a perceived owner how much of the longevity of a business or when you look at businesses being built to last, how much of that personal, uh, the personal ownership of the, of the promoter uh, play a part in the longevity of the business?
1: Well, you, you know, what happens is that and I'm going to constantly draw comparisons between the two. Uh, if you look at family run businesses, uh, they, uh, they will always have longer tenures. They will have a far greater uh, skin in the game. Uh, And it's their own, uh, you know, equity, money, sweat, blood, tears uh, that have been invested on a daily basis. So over a period of time, they have been able to sharpen their intuition. Uh, They've been able to get uh, the benefits of hindsight understood. Now that typically happens with the original promoter. And as new family members begin to start coming in, I think the real challenge, and some, some family businesses have done that exceedingly well, is how do you transmit this to uh, other uh, family members and other stakeholders who come into the business over a period of time? They will have to, by definition. Uh, the large businesses have seen that cycle many years ago. So uh, to that extent, it becomes institutionalized. Uh, you do need to write out your case studies, you do need to leave some uh, information behind. Uh, as, as managers, you can access that Pool of data on past experiences and marry that with current realities. So there is some amount there, and then of course there is the wisdom of other people in, in the in the business uh, to be able to go and bank on. There could be other markets and other professionals that you can reach out to. Family-run businesses very rarely have that opportunity. So it's it's a bit of a, a movement back and forth. Uh, th- these people, by definition, do it in one way, and and the others uh, find other sometimes better ways to do it. Hmm.
0: And uh, when we're looking at businesses uh, lasting or not being able to survive, money plays a very important part. Capital plays a very, very important part. What recourses do family businesses have when they find that their own money is running out? They're loath to give up control. However, they do need money at, uh, to, to, to keep the business going. How... You know, for some of those family business owners who are listening and who are saying, you know, I think we need the money, but what does it really mean? Do I lose my business completely? Do I have outsiders coming in and telling me about business that I know best? How, you know, so can you can you just throw some light in that environment?
1: Uh, you know, I think the starting point is the maturity of uh, the uh, the business owner themselves. And for them to recognize that whatever got them here... Some things are going to need to change to get them there. Uh, capital, to my mind, is actually a very small part of that. Uh, I think there are various uh, various avenues to uh, garner capital without losing control. Uh, you could get it through debt. Uh, go to go to your bank manager, show him your business plan, and get the money and then service that debt. Uh, the other way to go out in, is to go out and get it uh, as equity. Now, by definition, when you get it as equity, it is going to come with some amount of loss of control. And the question is then, who do you give that? Uh, well, I wouldn't say control as much as influence, right? Because if somebody's coming in as a partial shareholder, they're going to have an opinion and you're going to have to at least listen. You don't have to take it on board.
0: Influence is a very non-threatening word.
1: Well, influence can be done in many ways. <laughs> many uh, ways. <laughs> you, you, you see that around you politically yes. and, and it happens in the corporate world uh, as well. But uh, it, it all comes down to the maturity of the people who A, want the money and B, who provide it. So, uh, and and I I really do believe that um, uh, if if capital is required to grow your business uh, and the fact that uh, by definition, you're looking at a 2x, 3x, 4x type of growth. And as uh, a family owner, if you realize that something is going to change uh, because scale brings its, its, its own complexities and the way you ran your particular business till today will fundamentally have to change. For example, even simple things like personal relationships with, say, your distributors. You know your top 100 distributors as an owner, uh, but uh, tomorrow if you want to have 1,000, you simply cannot know 1,000 distributors yourself. So then you have to put in the systems and processes and who's going to help you to do that. So if you have the maturity to understand that along with money, if you have the right partner who will bring you, uh, these expertise and uh, and handhold you and there is no prescribed method to be able to do it because what's required for one business is completely different to What what's going to be required somewhere else. The onus also lies on the people who provide the business, uh, provide the capital. capital. That do they come in with uh, an element of respect and the fact that they are giving you the money does not really give them a license to completely uh, do things uh, in a particular way. And are you able to find... Uh, the right secret sauce for that particular business. Uh, and that is the chemistry working for the two of you. Uh, the money has to be made to work. Uh, so there's an element of maturity that is required on both parties uh, when you go out looking for that money.
0: Yeah. So essentially what I'm hearing you say is that uh, uh, people who have a good business model, but may be lacking either in capital or in some other areas, need not really be scared of getting outside help. The way that I look at it is that if there's something wrong with me or any of my family member, we go to the doctor. We may, may not like what the doctor is telling us, but uh, at least we either get a validation of what we believe is wrong or we get another opinion. And uh, uh, people do need to open up their minds to be able to be comfortable with the opinion that Uh, the, uh, the external advisors are giving them. Is there a way that the family can prepare itself for this? Because this is not really how promoters work. They don't want other people's opinion. They may want their money, but they don't want their opinion. They may not want their influence. But is there a way for smart people to realize that I need it? And this is the way I need to prepare not only myself, but maybe my father? Maybe my uncle, maybe my son who's part of the business. Is there a way?
1: So uh, so the only point that I would disagree with you is that uh, our family-run business is uh, not wanting advice and, and that uh, I built my business in a particular way and this is the only way to do it. And you can see uh, you know, businesses coming and hitting a particular ceiling. It could be 100 crores, it could be 500, it could be 1,000 and then the promoter says, uh, now, why am I not being able to push this a little bit harder? And sometimes uh, we The promoter have,
0: blames the implementers.
1: Well, as a promoter, you're pretty much the implementer yourself. So you're not going to escape that. Uh, so like I said, it's back to self-maturity to say, I need help. And I think your doctor example is spot on. You know, you can come back and say, I have fever and I'm going to wait for it to go away. And, you know, it's the season or whatever else. Or do you have the maturity to go and get a checkup done, go meet your physician? And then of course the onus lies on whether you want to take that advice or not, because the doctor's going to write out a prescription sure. doesn't take you necessarily to the chemist and, and make sure you're diligent about how you're taking it. But I still come back to the fact that, uh, I think more and more promoters are understanding that, uh, money actually, to my mind personally for a good well-run business is relatively easily available. But, uh, New methods of running your business, uh, how to professionalize yourself to the extent that you think is right for your business is a prescription that's not available to you because you simply don't have a medical degree, right? So you do need external help. And uh, and the trick out here, it comes down to finding the right partner. So it's like finding the right doctor. It's not that you can walk into the neighborhood Hakeem and hope that you will be perfectly fine. Good luck to you on that. Maybe you do find the odd good one, but that's a matter of chance And how do you eliminate the matter of chance? Because there are certain uh, um, uh, people who provide funds who have a track record of helping their companies, of having a more collaborative effort. And all you need to do is ask a few questions and say, I'm looking to get so-and-so in. Would they be right for my business? Would they understand me? Would they understand my family dynamics? Would they understand my family history? Our hopes, our aspirations? Uh, And while they provide the money, will they help me rather than dictate me on what the next journey is going to be about? So if you can find that party, I would deeply advocate it.
0: Yeah, so it does uh, boil down to uh, the chemistry. Oh, it is essential. But not only between the advisors or the external uh, helpers, if I can call them, or the experts, but also within the family. Now, does the chemistry within the family play any role in the experts coming in? The, the ability of the experts to provide their diagnosis and their advice?
1: See, when you, when you talk to a single promoter, uh, uh, you're normally talking to one person. And as long as you can influence that and, and arrive at a, a certain magic formula, that's great. But the moment you get to a family that's a little bit bigger than one, even two, uh, human beings are going to have differences of opinion. They will have a different view about how to drive their business of what is important to them and what their future holds, there's, like I said, going to be some legacies that the outsider will never know about, there's going to be some history that you will probably never unearth. And uh, you do have to be able to, at least be able to sniff through those family dynamics and say, is this a family dynamics where the differences of opinion of various stakeholders, can that be harnessed to your advantage? Or is this going to eventually be a showstopper? Right. It's a very important decision, a very important view to be able to be to be had for the stakeholders.
0: Right. And uh, continuing on that topic of understanding how a quick check can make any make an external advisor realize whether the business is built to last. Corporate governance is a word, you know, a couple of words that we are hearing more and more about. Typically. The promoters have run their business like they've run their family, with an iron fist and, you know, my way or the highway. With corporate governance becoming a buzzword, how can, how can smart family business owners get in corporate governance but still be able to run the business that they want to? Do you see a? Uh, it's an either or that either you run the business you the way you want to, or you have corporate governance. And can you share with us some examples where corporate governance and running the business the way the promoter wants to run it have are running hand in hand?
1: Um, again, I think there's one part there that I agree with, and one part I think uh, requires a little bit of adjustment. Um, To say that uh, all promoters have run their businesses with an iron fist, uh, not true.
0: So when I say all, uh, (laughs) you know, it's I I, I do generalize. Uh, My experience has been that most promoters, so if I'm a lawyer, I'm saying most, uh, giving myself the leeway and uh, you to say that it's not all, but typically an average promoter does not really like any influence and interference because he, most most of them are he's, he has built it himself. And he says, And who are you to tell me? But
1: I think the really astute ones uh, very quickly begin to realize that while they were in the inverted comma startup stage, Uh, They needed to be fairly autocratic about what they needed to be done. And they had a very clear vision. Uh, But as we live in a more uh, dynamic and connected world, uh, the rate and pace of change is so much that the really astute promoter begins to very quickly realize, and especially in today's environment, that he is going to be able to be a little bit more flexible about his end vision may be still the same but his route may probably be a little bit more uh, uh, varying in about how to get there. Uh, and, and, and I think the, the I'm relatively new to this game in terms of, you know, working with a few, but at least the few that I've worked with but have, have ha- been actually very humble about this. Right. They, they they come back and say, listen, I don't know, please help me. And um, uh, it's actually refreshing to see some of them uh, who will lay down their hearts and say, listen, these particular things I is my home turf and I've done this for the last 20 years. Uh, And actually, nobody can do it better than me. But here are some stuff that I simply don't understand tomorrow. Digital marketing, for example, in their world, it was put it on TV and life will be good. But they now have begun to understand that there is a power of digital marketing that they don't understand. And if they don't get an expert in, they're going to miss that bus, which is probably going to be a far greater and impactful weapon for some of the categories. And they know that they need it, but they don't know how to get it. So you you do get a little bit of, uh, like I said, the more astute, humble ones are able to bear their hearts and and put it on the table without a sense of ego. Mm.
0: And how much of that is being brought about by the uh, younger generation?
1: Very often uh, influenced by by them. Uh, Their own workforces are beginning to get a little bit younger. Um, uh, The younger uh, uh, employees are far more able to speak their mind, even in a promoter driven organization than they probably could 20 years ago. They're all roaming around with smartphones in their hand. They're far more aware and astute about what's going on.
0: The promoter has, uh, I think, a number of smartphones on his. In his yes, hand.
1: but the power of the smartphone is being demonstrated to him by people around.
0: By people around there.
1: You know, yeah. so hmm. first time he'll say, "Acha, show me." Hmm. The next time he says, "Acha, how did it happen?" And the third time he says, "How do I get involved with this story? It seems like a good one." Hmm. And I think if if they're not able to at least sense the winds of change, they run an inherent risk in any case, capital hmm. or not. Sachin Tendulkar, Virat Kohli, Don Bradman and now Cyrus Brocker. Okay, probably not in the right company. I mean Don Bradman is Australian, but it's called Cyrus Says, a wonderful show about everything. Find the show on the iVM podcast app ivmpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. As an outsider, as
0: an outside expert, What are some of the things that you instinctively look for when people come to you for help? And what is it that makes you decide whether as an organization, uh, bodies like you are going to help be able to help uh, a promoter and his business?
1: so i'm going to park the basic business model itself as something as a given like saying okay this company has got to 500 or 1000 has an aspiration to get to 3000 what's going to require to be take it there is it a solid business is there demand for this product is it evolving is it uh, in tune with so let's just leave the business drivers of this uh uh to one side and, and uh, each one is going to be have have to have its own uh you know mantra of success of what it needs there but i think that the two parts that are, that are that are so soft that it's so it's completely impossible out here to be able to give a, a clear mantra on. But having said that, two words that I will come back to. One is a word that you talked about, which is which is governance, and the other one is about chemistry. right? So um, typically, if you're going to go out and look for money, whether you look for debt or you look for equity, and, and debt just as much, if you look at the newspapers today of all the stuff that's been happening on banks providing loans and not getting it back, uh and the that's
0: good chemistry between the bankers and the promoters yeah i,
1: I yeah, I know this is a <laughs> chemistry set for explosion and and and, and you know I, I I think while we while uh, a few individual people are being targeted for getting their money back. It's, it is sending signals out saying that that old chemistry model that you ran in the lab is, is a little bit outdated <laughs> and you're going to have to do it is exploding in your face. Um, and I think the benefits of much of what is happening today and what we read in the papers every day will begin to unfurl itself in the, ne- in the next few days, in next few years. And it's very important that you can no longer go and swing a deal, so to speak, and, you know, put some stuff around and then uh, pull out your own personal wealth somewhere and wait for it to explode in shareholders or the bank's faces uh, later. And, and, and I would personally advocate for as much and, and tighter and tighter controls on this because it's good for business, right? It it, it, prom- it promotes businesses that are going to give you a return on capital that are going to be able to manage their own. And it's, it's ultimately uh, enables the bank to give another loan. Today, what's happening? You can't give out a loan because you haven't got your first one back. Right. Uh, so one part is, that is, that. Yeah. Uh, is, is about that. And, uh, governance is 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 also not about uh only about monetary governance yeah it's it's a lot about the ethics that they put down in their organization of what is right and wrong and uh very difficult to 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 say this is good governance or not uh there are no litmus tests on on this one but what does the promoter say every time when you come to a particular place and you ask for a decision does you think of consumer first does you think of other stakeholders first and do you, as a, as somebody who, who's a youngster in, in the promoter's organization, say, listen, this is a place that has a sense of ethics and it's fair to all stakeholders. And even if there's a short term dip in certain elements like revenue or profitability, it still is in the right direction and will pay itself off in many ways later. So uh, governance has a larger, uh, a, a larger ambit than just financial governance. Uh, it's about the ethics, about the way that you treat your employees, the way you do everything in office. Uh, are you socially responsible or are you wanting to find th- ways to tuck things under the carpet and hope for the best. And then like you see yeah. the second part, like I came back is about chemistry and chemistry, um, has got to be again sniffed is we walk into a chemistry lab and you, you, you wonder whether you know yes. <laughs> this is yeah. about to explode. Now chemistry is, has got multiple facets. Uh, chemistry is about uh, the, the promoter family. How do they get along with each other? And it's nothing to do with business. It could be about egos. It could be about marriages. It could be about children. It could be hundreds of things that we will never see from the outside. It could be chemistry between, uh, between the family and uh, the, the professionals who are now about to be hired. Will they, you know, learn to find the, the ground of what is right and what, what is right for business and who's willing to let go at what particular stage? Chemistry is about uh, the promoter family and the people providing the funds. It's now going to be about the chemistry with your bank manager for the right chemistry, right? And and is he going to be challenging you enough to say, listen, your outstandings are too high, you need to bring them down because your cash flow is going out, uh, you know, we suggest or whatever. Similarly, if you go and get funds from as equity and you're going to get an influencer there, uh, is that influencing being done with the right chemistry? And is it uh, in a way that you see it's adding value to your business? Or is it a prescription? Because nobody likes a prescription. Somebody tells you what to do, you'll find three reasons why you can't. Right. So yeah, between governance and, and, and chemistry, if these two things work, and you have found the right partners, the right doctor, you're likely to get well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you did say something about corporate governance and that not being a litmus test, but it's more about how... Uh, no, there we, are some
1: litmus tests, but they're not They are not enough. They,
0: they're not enough. <clears throat> One of the things that I believe uh, sets apart uh, or is a very good indicator of how a company or a promoter behaves is when the company or the promoter is in a crisis. And that's when the ability to display your corporate governance your ethics your a variety of other softer aspects uh, allow themselves to be manifested any examples that you can share where you've personally seen a company or a promoter go through crisis and either they've come out you know right they've come out wrong or has it has it actually been instructive for you
1: Yes. So I'm going to come back with one example that I that resonates with me all the time and I, I share it with other people and I'm happy to do it out here. Uh, so in my previous company, which has a lot of what is called contract manufacture. So you got a lot of, uh, of, your, of your goods produced on the outside, packaged by other people, you branded, it, marketed, it, do all the things. It's a normal model. Uh, but being a foods company, uh, it has its own issues in terms of uh, controls and safety and various things. And we were launching a new product, uh, which was all done testing and everything else. And um, the stocks have been made in the factory. This is the first time that the, the stocks were about to hit the market. Um, and we had a, had a, uh, we had a particular process by which even though the factory standards had approved everything and uh, the, before the first carton goes out, somebody has to open a carton and eat it. Yes. It's just the ultimate test. Um, and a colleague of mine, um, opened up a particular carton. He opened up the product and he said, look, it's smelling right. and, um, uh, I don't think it's, it looks too good. So we called up the promoter and, and of his business where he ran the factory and we said, look, we hear this and, um, uh, it's not looking so great. Uh, and I, will never forget his response. His response was, can you send me just one of those products to my office in the next half an hour? Uh, it happened in Bombay. He was a Bombay-based promoter. Uh, and I'll get back to you. He ate one of those products and he said, destroy the whole stocks. It's promoter to my said. Yes, and it's to my responsibility. I know what would happen in many other companies. He'd say, okay, let's see. Is it only in Bombay? Is it also in Gujarat? Can you open a sample size? Does it affect the whole batch? Is it half the batch? And these were, these. this was, I'm talking, 15, 20 years ago. right? And he just said, listen, make sure you destroy it responsibly. Make sure it never gets into human hands or for that matter, even in animal hands. Make sure it doesn't pollute the environment because it's a lot of stocks that are going to be destroyed. Now, you look at that and you say, how much loss did he take on that one? Right. But if that stock had gone to the market, we had dilly-dallied on it, he had dilly-dallied on it, we would have never recovered on that business, ever. And neither would he have. Right. Now, that's a sense of ethics that goes well past the financials and the and the crisis even he gave us instructions as a as a large multinational company on how to destroy it right now that leaves you with a very different and very warm feeling for the promoters to say uh, it's not only about the stocks this is probably how he runs every aspect of his business his fairness to his employees and everything else that goes along with him Uh, And probably somebody you should be backing up for the long term uh, because all businesses will go through its ups and downs. So yes, there are many such examples, but this one always resonates with me because it was such a fantastic response uh, and a massive financial loss. He he just said, look, I can't do it. I'm not going to allow this to go. Right,
0: right. And I I do wish that uh, stories like these are shared with more and more people because uh, this does send out the message that good business... And good governance and good ethics can all go hand in hand. Oh, they're
1: inseparable, actually speaking. Short term, you'll get away with a few things. Right.
0: And if we're talking about businesses that are built to last, these are key ingredients to it. Uh, Going back to your second uh, uh, corporate governance and chemistry, and you talked about chemistry between professionals who are going to come in and run the business along with the promoters and the various members of the family. Personally speaking, I have seen a sense of entitlement within the family come in the way of the chemistry with the professionals. Would you agree, qualify, have any stories to share? Where entitlement? The entitlement could be, How can it be better than the CEO of the car? How can it be These are senses of entitlement. Uh, that i have i have heard personally how again any any stories that you have to share with us
1: so Sonu, like i said I, i'm i'm relatively new to this game is i've been, but you've been in, 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 in the yes and, and World. i do and i do have, have no, no I, have I have friends for
0: a uh, hair to pepper the hair to prove it, Naveen. So you you have millions of examples.
1: Yes. No. But but I would actually just go back between uh, uh, you know what we see as symptoms and and what we see uh, as maturity. The really true mature people who are worth backing up, uh, who will put capital to good use, who will respect your opinion, uh, whose opinion you have to respect, and and whose chemistry is right actually come with a very low sense of, of entitlement their offices have not changed in the last 20 years and they have no aspiration to change it they will give it to a new ceo and they will say never mind they, you know for them it's unimportant rubbish you know are you adding value to my business are you delivering on your business results are you aligned with the vision of the promoter and the really mature ones will actually not come with a sense of entitlement uh, uh, yes do they enjoy their wealth of course they do and they should it's their prerogative to do it and if in their private uh, you know life they want to go on a cruise or buy themselves a mercedes benz why not but will they come back and make comparisons with the professionals who've come in it also then puts the onus on the professional what are you asking for when you walk in why do you want this of office in a business that's just got some money that needs to scale up and is this the best use of the capital that you just pulled in so, it's really back to maturity. And, and and if you don't find the right professional who's who's not being responsible about how putting money, are you better off buying another machine or getting your office upgraded? If the machines have been bought and you need to upgrade your office, upgrade it and tell the old man, I'm going to upgrade your office at the same time. It is, there's so many ways to skin a cat. But, if you do come across uh, these promoters with a deep sense of ent- entitlement and who says all the things that you say it's a watch out point you know you you just have to say that you know will this last will uh, is this the barometer of all financial decisions in in the future um uh, maybe a sample size of one is not good enough on 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 the office size or the car but if that is going to be a recurring theme it's going to be something that is going to be have to be managed i'm not saying it's a break point but it's a it's yeah. it's it's a red flag
0: yeah. It's very interesting that I'm hearing a person who deals with uh, uh, capital, who deals with money for uh, family businesses to say that money is really not the most important thing. It's everything but money that is important that will ensure whether the money works for the family business or not. Uh, Before we end, I do want to spend just some time on... For those promoters who do have an open mind, what are some of those early signs, early warning bells that they need to watch out for, uh, which are sending them a message that this business needs help. It, it, it requires, uh, uh, you know, you can't do it alone. Any of those warning signals?
1: Well, I think some of them are going to be the the normal business indicators that we see. Uh, for example, uh, um, are their revenues continuing to show uh, healthy growth? Are their profits beginning to or continuing to show healthy growth? Um, the one that they don't normally measure, but they should, is what's happening to my market share. Because even though your revenues and profits are growing at a healthy growth, but if somebody is is growing faster than you, uh, has that red flag gone out? And I find that not enough promoters spend time on on market share the multinational companies are hysterical about it. You know, they're, they're right. willing to forgive certain other things in the short term as long as you're not losing uh, market share because that's ultimately a barometer of what's going to happen in the next one, two, five, take take your pick of number And of you years. can
0: choose the market share that you want to, I mean, not everybody can have the largest market share. So it's, if there's 100 to be divided... So
1: no, that's true. As long as you're not fooling yourself.
0: Yeah. No, no, it's so easy
1: to fool yourself. It's so easy to say that's not my market. Uh, if he's getting my market share in that business, I don't want to do it. If it's true, you better believe it's true. It should not be an excuse for your fever, right? Right, <laughs> right. So, so, right. So that that's fine. It's not that the weather has changed. I'll be okay tomorrow. And there are going to be times you're going to be needing antibiotics and the aspirin is not going to do it for you. Uh, I think some of those key parameters of what you set up for yourself, number one. Number two... Uh, I, I think um, very often as they begin to get to new growth vectors that they want to establish, it could be new product categories, it could be new markets, um, uh, a- any of the typical things. Uh, and and normally that's where they will struggle because the the knitting is something that they know. They'll stick to it, they'll do it, they'll hopefully evolve and continue to move. But as they get to the revolution stage, from the evolution stage, uh, do they really have the wherewithals to get to that new market and all the diligence that we as multinational managers have been told, where's your product testing and what have you done and have you gone and checked this out for the marketplace and X and, um, as opposed to using the same mantra as a copy paste and saying, if I did it here, I, I can now go to the, I'm, I'm a great you know person in the South and now go launch in the rest of the country three X, four X volumes. No, it's not. If you if it was so easy, you would have done it by now. And So uh, I think the, 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 the real i won't say red flags but the real challenges begin to start coming as they look for disproportionate growth not the normal 10 12 15 whatever is the growth rate that they've got now they want 35 40 growth rate and that's when they begin to start realizing that if i want this growth rate which is there to be had provided i'm able to manage the dynamics at play you know number one number two are they really able to manage scale because right. uh, if you to produce a hundred units is different, but you want to produce a thousand units, you're going to struggle. You want to sh- ship out a ten, a hundred units, you can do it. You want to ship out a thousand units, it's different. So, are they thinking scale? That if I become success, will that actually be my failure?
0: So, do they do their aspirations actually match their actual ability?
1: And do they have the humility to say, "I need help"?
0: To need help or to manage their aspirations? Yes. Yes. I mean, ultimately, yes, it, yes.
1: It, it is. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I agree. Okay.
0: So good. Great talking to you, Naveen. Thank you for taking time out.
1: Thank and you, Sonu. And uh, I think uh, while our conversation was going on, you've given me some other food for thought for some of the companies that oh, oh, good, <laughs> that I work good, with. And saying, good, you know, good.
0: I don't know whether uh, the royalty plays a part in any of I'll this. I'll buy you a coffee. But, <laughs> but thank you for being here and pleasure and hope to try, have another conversation with you
1: soon. Thank you very much, Sonu. The Inheritors Podcast Series by Bloomberg Quint. Look up in the internet. It's a meme. No, it's a cat video. No, it's the Geek Fruit Podcast. That's right, we interrupt this riveting broadcast to tell you about our show, The Geek Fruit Podcast, where Tejas, Dinkar and I, Chishnu, talk about everything in pop culture, including DC, Marvel, Star Wars, Netflix and everything in between. You know how your friends hate it when you ramble about some nerdy crap and you just want somebody to listen to you? Well, sorry, there's nothing we can do about that, but come listen to us ramble and it'll almost be like the real thing. Kind of. Listen to new episodes of the Geek Fruit Podcast every Monday and the Geek Fruit Bulletin every Thursday on iTunes, Google Podcasts, the IBM app, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Happy listening, you nerds.